Hello and welcome to the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. My name is Shmuel Tenenhaus and this is my podcast. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Google, for sponsoring this week's podcast. It's not the first time Google, I believe, has sponsored, so thank you guys for being back. Let me just get Google's ad out of the way and we'll be on with our show. Hello from Google. We are that well-known brand with cute colors even though scarily we know everything about you. As you may have read in the news, even though we are doing our best to suppress it in our search results, Google, yes, that's us, had to pay or has to pay a $391 million fine to 40 states for secretly collecting personal location data. Not creepy at all because we're just trying to track you to serve better ads. So ultimately, this is for you. Anyways, we are not going to let the government or bureaucracy get in the way of us tracking you. So we would like to introduce Google underwear. This is what how it works. You wear it. It's super comfy. We have a lot of engineers. We pay them a lot of money. This is the best that you can get. But the best part about this is it tracks where you're going at all times and how often you're going to the restroom, things that we're doing, obviously this is for your benefit because let's say you wanna know where's the closest bathroom, we can connect you based on your bodily needs and functions to wherever it is you go. We also have autofill, we know where you were in the past. Anyways, go to googleunderwear.com, enter at checkout the coupon code the Shmuel 10 Hours Podcast to save 20% on your pair of Google underwear. Anyways, I'm very, uh, thank you again. I'm very relieved to be here because, as you know, we just uh, finished elections and uh, midterm, and obviously it was a scary time because uh, we were voting on, as you know, uh, democracy itself. So I was going through the the ballot, and I see here, like, who's running for mayor in my city. I just checked off each one, democracy itself. I voted for in my city. I voted for the candidate, democracy itself. And then on, on a state level, democracy itself. Even the judges, again, straight down, I was voting for everyone, democracy itself. Now, I don't know if there's still democracy, but I know that I did my part just to make sure and ensure that I, Shmuel Tenenhaus from the Shmuel po- Tenenhaus podcast, would vote to maintain and potentially restore democracy itself. Now, I want to share a rule for couples. This is not an original rule, although I did have to leverage uh, this, uh, this rule, okay? It goes like this. Anything that is said between couples, between the hours of 2 a.m. and 5 a.m., do not count. It's as if it never happened. Why? Because those are not hours that human beings are meant to be awake. So again, any exchanges that couples have during those hours, it should be immediately wiped from the slate. Like an Etch-A-Sketch. You just lift it up, it's gone. And that could potentially solve sometimes issues or uh, conflict in marriages. Again, this wasn't an original idea that I had. I did have to emergency. There was an emergency this week uh, where I had to actually lean on this rule very hard just to get on with our marriage. Okay. The next thing is this is 
This is a little esoteric, and I want you to, to follow with me here. This involves halacha. Uh, uh, also, it involves a vulgar a term that's used in society. And what I aim to do with this ne- next little minute or two is to show you how everything in this world, no matter how low or mundane it is, it has ultimately a source in Gedusha, something very high. So what happened was yesterday I, I work in an office where somebody has a lot of snacks and I help myself to all of the snacks and I've not contributed even once to the funding of this because they're doing such a nice mitzvah. I barely pay rent, so I'm not going to start kicking in for snacks too. They're going to get the wrong idea that I'm uh, magnanimous or generous. So I, I, I snuck a kind bar and it was me and somebody else. And we asked each other, what bracha do you make on this kind bar? And it was one with almonds. On Spotify, I'm going to make that as the cover of this week's podcast. So the question was, what bracha do you make on this kind bar? On the one hand, it's, you know, you would think it's shahakal because a lot of chocolate. But both of us said immediately, we said ha'etz. Why? And we just pointed to the almonds on top and we said, because of these nuts. Which is, you know, obviously, you can see clearly those are nuts, so we made ha'etz on them. Now, what this reminded me of is there is an inappropriate uh, slang term uh, in, in this world that we live in, and it, it, the term is these nuts. And it's usually used pejoratively, if I pronounce that correctly, or not in a, in a nice context. But how interesting is it that my friend and I both made an eights on that kind bar because of these nuts? Right, so you see here, that is these nuts on a very spiritual level, and then by process of ishtalshlus, it will go down a thousand levels to where we get this crude expression in the world. Something I got to share. I was, we were very lucky last week, my family and I, to attend a bris, a huge, huge simcha. Now, for us on a personal level, it's even a bigger simcha because I was able to feed my family on somebody else's dime that night. And it was very stark. It was very strong, the food representation that they had there. For example, there were multiple carving stations for meat. There was a parav coffee bar. Those, those two is a combo to me that says this child, God willing, when he grow up is going to be very well balanced because, again, they had both the smoked meat, they had the... the the coffee station, these are two luxuries to have at a bris. So what's the issue? Why am I complaining here? I felt that there was an insensitive thing that occurred at the bris at one of the food stations. Yes, they were doing it for children, but they were serving hot dogs. I think that's a very inappropriate juxtaposition of a food to be serving at a bris. Somebody should have thought and said, hey, wait a second, Maybe this is a sore point. Maybe not serve it now. Now, if you think that this wasn't an attempt at subtle humor, they had also right next to the hot dogs, they had hot dogs with like a doughy thing around it. And they had a little sign that says, here, have a hot dog in a bandage. And there was a little drop of 
catch up on each one. Now, that could cause people some trauma and a bris. So just reconsider if you want to have a kid menu, maybe you stick with the fried chicken, but you don't have to go to where I just went to. Now, uh, I want to talk a little bit about a very, very painful topic for me and the Jewish community at large. And this was uh, National Basketball Association player uh, Kyrie Irving, who linked to an anti-Semitic uh, video, which was on Amazon Prime. And by the way, Amazon Prime has such a great collection of music and video. If you want something anti-Semitic, Amazon will gladly serve it up to you because, again, they have really everything that you need. And they're not going to just start saying, hey, well, this is offensive to the Jewish people we can't have in our catalog. No, they need a massive catalog. So if, if you're out there and, and you have Prime and you're thinking about, like, dropping it, no, you can get everything that you need there. So I didn't mind that Kyrie said something and he posted that video. And I also didn't mind when he made a, he had a press conference and he didn't want to apologize and then he wasn't returning the calls from the owner. But the issue that I have with Kyrie is that ultimately he apologized and now he's playing again. At the Kyrie, I tell you, you're a man of principles. You don't like Jewish people. Why don't you just stick with your guns? Is it because you have a $40 million contract and you're back for the money? That's, just such, that's such a Jewish thing to do. Dude, stay strong. Stay strong. I just like with these people coming back with these tear-felt apologies. You say something, you got to stick with it. Okay, the next thing is I want to talk a little bit about the FTX bankruptcy. That was a, uh, one of the largest uh, cryptocurrency exchanges with SBF. And I knew it was starting to get fraudulent because I have a friend a relative actually who works in fintech who's been telling me for a while, you know, this guy from FTX, SBF, is, uh, is going places. So when you have somebody that works in fintech who is very impressed with somebody else, that somebody else potentially is up to no good. Now, what I want to say about this whole story is that Again, there have been people who have been skeptical of Bitcoin. And once upon a time, I was one of those skeptics. But I've made a 180 turnaround. And now, again, I am very bullish on crypto because people will say, oh, crypto is not a legitimate business. FTX pr uh, proves to you uh, that there's more legitimacy than you even know about. Because, And here's why. A lot of businesses go out of business. Are you familiar with that? Most businesses or a lot of businesses just go out of business. They don't make it. And it's amazing when a business does stay in business. Now, my point is, when you say something like FTX went out of business, that proves it's just like a regular business because, again, a lot of businesses go out of business. Also, just the terminology went out of business means that it's a real business. Now it's just going out of it. It went out of that type of business. And for people who are crypto enthusiasts, as you know now, crypto is a little lower, which always, always represents a buying opportunity. Now, I just want to make a clear disclaimer. The Shmuel Tenenaus podcast is not advocating the purchase of cryptocurrency. I'm not a financial advisor. All I'm saying is this is yet another proof that crypto is real.
Next, uh, uh, sadly, uh, in the last week or so, uh, my family has been dealing with a faulty dishwasher, and it looks like the dishwasher has has or uh, took its last breath last week. We are hand washing dishes now, and all I got to do is officially make that phone call to Label Miller to come uh, pick up my dishwasher, and we're going to do a small small little service. Now, when my wife purchased the dishwasher, I received a fraud alert notification from my credit card company because it was a large purchase. I received a text message, promptly an email. I continued getting phone calls the next couple of days. Somebody from the credit card company even showed up within the half an hour knocking on my door. That's how strong the fraud detection department is at my current credit card company. Now, because I have imposter syndrome, which this may be, that's, that's a topic unto its own for a different uh, podcast. But when I got the fraud alert, I was thinking, yes, my wife did make the purchase, but the fraud alert is legit because I am the fraud. Like the credit card company is basically letting my wife know, you think your husband has all that money that you can just willy-nilly buy a dishwasher. No, he's a fraud. He's got nothing. He's living off credit. So as somebody with imposter syndrome, that fraud alert, I think, was really aimed in my direction. Next, uh, another uh, devastating thing that the Jewish community is dealing with right now uh, that is really pulling us all down, and that is the clock change. Because for the rest of the world, when the clock changes... You know, it's, you know, people are just extra sleepy. They're, they're missing meetings. Their schedule's thrown off a little bit. But the consequences for the Jewish community when the clock changes, as I'm, I'm talking about specifically the Frum community, is ginormous for a couple of reasons. One, uh, lots of Frum people, after the clock has changed, I see them Tuesday morning running out of shul, and they're rushing throughout their day. And I'm like, why are you rushing? And they're like, well, Shabbos starts an, an hour earlier this week. So that's why on Tuesday, they're driving 60 miles an hour in, in a 50, 15 mile an hour speed zone. Because again, that's stress that Shabbos is one hour earlier in a few days. The second thing is, and this is almost too shameful for me to, to bring up, is that there are now during Shabbos meals, people as Fleshix is being served, since there is now an opportunity to go out and get sick again, Matzah Shabbos, from new food, milchik food, people are calculating in their heads, uh, shamelessly, uh, as Shant is being served, hey, wait a second, if I eat this now, can I go out and get a stomach ache at 7 o'clock at some sort of milchik joint? Now, uh, in connection to what I just said, and by the way, my aunt, shout out to my aunt, Feige, who is not only Hanla's mother, but who I saw her at the Brits, the aforementioned Brits, and told me that she likes my podcast, has listened to everyone. Let's see if she listens to this one. But I really got to cut, cut out the hemming and the hawing. So if anybody hears any hems or haws, Feige's with you, and we are working on that. 
as a discipline here on the Shmuel Tendenhouse podcast. Now, so uh, in conjunction with what I was saying before about an earlier Shabbos, so I'll give you a personal story that happened with myself, Shmuel Tendenhouse from the Shmuel Tendenhouse podcast, and, and just about how everybody has to rush because Shabbos is earlier. The other day, it was a Friday afternoon, I was, I get a surprise phone call from a friend and he invites me to his home to say Elohim. His family was there. They had surprised him for his 40th birthday. So I go over there and have Elohim. Now, this is about 3 p.m. Friday afternoon. Now, at some point in time, you know, Shabbos is coming and Shabbos is earlier now because the clock changed. So I get up and I tell these guys, listen, people, it's Erev Shabbos. I had Elohim. I need to prepare for Shabbos and zip out of here because now I have to go and fulfill another obligation, which is smoking a little weed before Shabbos at my brother-in-law's house. It's very complicated with such an early Shabbos to go to somebody's house for alcohol and then for ganja and then Shabbos is so early. Let's address now some of the chatter that's going on with TikTok. As you know, the U.S. government is, uh, has been saying things about TikTok and it poses a security threat and it involves security. That's not what I want to address. I want to address here that TikTok is by and large fake, not the content on it. But the view count and the engagement is a complete farce. Here's how I know. Speak to anybody who does social media. They will tell you they have a good following on Facebook. They do wonderful on Instagram, but they are huge on TikTok. Like they have 20,000 followers on Instagram, but 800 million followers on TikTok. Explain the math to me. How is that humanly possible? Now, what people will come back and tell me is, no, no, look at the videos. These videos are getting 8 million views a minute on TikTok. And there's 20,000 comments on each comment. Now, do the math. That's a lot of engagement for TikTok. And again, to me, something seems a little off here. Now, why would TikTok have the motive to artificially inflate the engagement. It's very simple. When it comes to social media platforms or really any platform where there are buyers or sellers or creators and consumers of content, the biggest payday that you have for a creator is engagement. Namely, the currency is views, comments. Ultimately, they want to parlay that into financial sponsorships and branding. And so there's constantly a chicken and egg struggle where creators don't want to create unless there are users watching it. But if you can artificially inflate a lot of the engagement, that gives you a much more motivated creator to spend time focused on creating content for TikTok and takes away a lot of attention from other websites. If you think, again, this is completely facetious, go online and search, are TikTok numbers fake? 
and you will see lots of discussions. You can also buy fake stuff. I'm not saying it's 100% bunk, but I'm saying uh, it's got to be built into their system. And it has worked wonders because so many people are spending more time on TikTok because they want to watch videos with more views. Creators want to have instant gratification to have more usage. I also know a couple of things. Number one, I have a friend who takes videos on TikTok of the sunrise and sunset, and he has 300,000 people watching sunrise and sunset because, of course, 300,000 people are going to tune in live to watch something that happens 365 days a year everywhere on the planet, of course. Then I know somebody who lives in Hollywood and he has a video with his family and he's, he's banging a hammer to, for some mikvah campaign and each video has 400,000 views because again, people really want you know, mikvah content for building a mikvah. So then you're gonna say, well, there's so many comments you could artificially inflate views, but what about the comments? Well, first of all, algorithmically, you can absolutely have fake comments on there. Second of all, if you really, really think about it, there's a billion people in China. Now, if you have a forced quarantine or a lockdown, could be the law is, hey, listen, guys, as a country, we need you to leave comments now and all these American videos, so they switch over from Instagram and Twitter to TikTok. I looked up uh, what the definition of TikTok is, and in Chinese it means quarantine. So that means if there's a quarantine there, when they're sh shutting down cities, that's what people are doing. They're, it, it, they're forced to, to watch the videos again and again and leave comments. Another thing, Jack Ma, famous Chinese billionaire. He hasn't been seen for years. Wh what do you think he's doing? He's in a cell leaving comments on my TikTok video that my sister put up on TikTok. China also has prison camps, the Uyghurs. There's two million people in a, in, in a prison camp. What do you think forced laborers? They're not digging ditches. They have to watch TikTok and leave comments on people's videos. Okay, switching gears. Uh, this breaks my heart to say that I am aware of a, another from couple who filed for divorce. And this time, the, what broke the, the camel's back, but I think it was the whole, the whole reason why their marriage fell apart, was uh, they're fighting over Seamus. Uh, too much of a Seamus pileup in the house. It's not the first divorce I've heard in the from community over an abundance of Seamus in the house. Now, the twist in this story was the latest Seamus divorce was it's actually the husband who's divorcing the wife because the wife does Chitas Rambam. She has Chayenos. He almost tripped over a shopping bag in front of the house because he put it in front of the house saying, please, take your Chayenos out of here. You're really hoarding them right now, and there's no room for anything right now. I open up the fridge, and chayenos are falling out. So it was actually the wife, which is, again, if you want to stereotype, you think it's the husband. No, it's the wife hoarding Seamus, the husband 
almost tripped over a bag of Seamus and, and lost his life. And uh, they are uh, filing for a divorce. Divorce is serious within the firm community and Seamus hoarding and Seamus disputes are all too common. And I wish that everybody would be able to resolve uh, the Seamus conflict that occurs in firm houses. Now, as a married man with children, I just have to say, when I get up in the beginning of the week, the work week, TGIM, thank God it's Monday. Because the weekends are brutal when you have children. Just brutal. Because essentially during the weekend, you have to uh, watch your kids, spend time with them, and give them the attention that they need. And you can't like pawn them off to school where the teachers have to deal with them. So it's, it's, it's a lot of work the weekends with no, no breaks in sight. And when I wake up Tuesday, it's, you know, TGIT, thank God it's Tuesday. As a married man, as the weekend starts coming to a close, I start breaking into a sweat on Thursday. And people are like, hey, my single friend's like, why are you so nervous? I'm like, why am I nervous? I'm married with kids. The weekend is coming. They're brutal. I ain't going back to the office and working in, in a soulless job until Monday. So, again, TGIM. Okay, now we're going to talk about depression, anxiety, and fear within the Frum community because I know it's there. You guys try to hide it. I know it's out there. I know for myself, and I know from speaking to every single from person that I know. So now when it comes to this anxiety, is it generational? Is it hereditary? Is it environmental? What is it? Before I answer that question that is searing through my mind and your minds, I just want to share a Jewish bedtime story. So there's a knock on the family's door and who is there? None other than the Galach in the middle of the night. And they handcuff the Jewish family and drag them through the streets and throw them into a dungeon with rats and with other corpses. Kinderlach Stop talking. Let me continue this Jewish from bedtime story. So the Galach says to the father, do you want to convert? And he says, I need three minutes to think about it. And the Galach says, great. I'm going to cut off three of your toes in front of your kids. And I'm going to give you a mason jar that you can put these toes inside. That if you change your mind, your wife, who's the tailor of the town, could potentially sew these toes back on, but it has to be if you decide to convert. All of a sudden, after they rip off the father's toes in front of the family and the kids, the door flies open 
and it's the parrots of the city and says, the parrot says to the family, I know you're going through a lot of pain and potentially you'll pay all your outstanding debts and your father will get his toes back. But your mother, I've always had my eye on her and I'm taking her with me and you're never going to see her again. Plus, we're going to tie up all the kids to a tree and we're going to pour honey on you and we want you to live because you've had such a hard time but we do want bees to sting you. Anyways, kids, let's stop the story right now. We're going to say Shimon Amapil. We'll continue the story tomorrow night. Everybody have chesidosh chalimus. Have great dreams. Okay. Finally, the last thing I want to talk about here is it gives me great pleasure to talk about a concept that I think can destroy the uh, from community as we know it. And I had this idea before I had a podcast, but this is a perfect place to share it. So essentially the way uh, this idea goes is just like in Shul, there is a Kiddush club during the day, a presidential Kiddush. My idea involves that in Shul's Friday night, there ought to be Kiddush in the Shul just for the guys who come to Shul, basically with nice wine, fine wine. So right after Elenu, one person, a representative, makes Kiddush on wine, and everybody has to bring a fancy bottle of wine to Shul so they can each taste the fancy wines. Now, it won't be any food. Maybe there'll be a mezainus, so you can do makam suda. And the idea is, you know, it's Friday night. You're coming to Shul. You're seeing your friends for the first time in a couple of days. Now, if that's going to happen, let's all just have a, a little wine. And again, we're not going to hang around for a meal, but let's everybody bring a good bottle. And the reason why this is such a terrible idea is, one, it involves alcohol, which means that people listening to this are going, that is a great idea. That's 52 more opportunities to get drunk during the year in Shul because we had nothing going on Friday night. Second of all, what's going to end up happening is people are going to stay in Shul longer because there's so much wine, and then they're going to roll home showing up at their house at about 9, 9.30 with their Shabbos hat on backwards completely. And the food is going to be called on the table. And the wife is going to be like, where were you? Were you at that stupid Shmuel Tendenhaus podcast Friday night wine kiddush club? And you're going to try to deny it. But ultimately, that's where you're going to be. So as I share this idea, I'm saying it is a terrible idea. It's not an idea that I recommend. I also ask you personally not to share this idea with somebody else because as you know, People are going to want to bring a good bottle of wine to show Friday night just to get together, you know, for a couple of minutes. And one guy makes Kiddush on the wine, a good bottle, and there's kind of like a wine tasting with everyone else. And then you go home right away, you know, 20, 30 minutes, but now you're in a good, better mood. 
even though it is the weekend, right? So you got to numb the pain on the weekend and you just have to grin and bear it until Monday morning. It's a terrible idea and I'm asking you not to implement it on behalf of the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this episode. I love you all. Catch you all next week.